Bienvenidos and welcome to Puro Pinche Gol, the podcast where we talk about all things USMNT y la Selección Mexicana. My name is Adrian and I am joined by my co-host and tocayo, Adrian. How you doing, Adrian? I'm doing all right, man. How about yourself, dude? Doing good, man. Glad we finally decided to do this. All right, yeah. so we are just two fellas who, you know like and support both teams here and uh we decided you know we love watching and talking football so decided to go ahead and start this this podcast um this is episode one world cup post-mortem for usa and mexico where we'll be discussing successes failures reacting to the uh the team that was selected for each uh, the squad that was selected for each team and uh, pretty much just kind of analyzing how they did in the World Cup, the games, you know, how they performed. Um, but first of all, Adrian, I kind of uh, wanted to, I guess, start with a little bit of, you know, background on us, why we're doing this. Um, Definitely. You know, uh, why don't you start us off, you know, what, what got you into soccer? How long have you been following, you know, each team? Uh, where are you from? Give us some background on yourself, you know, what you bring to the table. Yeah, man, for sure. So, uh, well, I, I grew up in Monterrey, Nuevo León, Mexico. So I'm a Mexican, actually. I'm a Mexican national. I'm li I've been living in the States for the last, what, 11 years now? Uh, I moved to San Antonio, Texas for college. Uh, that's where we met. And, uh, man, I, I mean, it's kind of hard to say when exactly I started following uh, the, the Mexican national team because it's pretty much, you know, a it, it's a given when you're born in Mexico. So it's, I mean, you got to follow it. Nonetheless, in Monterrey, it's quite, it's, it's interesting, uh, but we'll get, we'll get to that later on. Um, <clears throat> when I moved to the States though, I, it was a shame that soccer wasn't, or I guess football wasn't as popular as it is in Mexico. It's getting traction. Definitely. It, it has improved, but as, as I become more familiar with the U S national team, and as I became uh, closer to you, I started to realize that the U.S. team is actually quite competitive. Um, and so I would say that for the last maybe eight years, I've been a huge fan of the U.S. national team. Um, <clears throat> and I'm just, you know, really glad that we for now have a chance to speak our minds about it. Um, you know, I, I've been playing soccer my whole life, uh, pretty much going through a couple of academies in Mexico and then also playing in, in high school. Um, and then I decided to go to, go to school and that dream pretty much died <laughs> but other than that Ripped. um i know uh i'm a Tigres fan of course i love chelsea as well um and and yeah i mean <clears throat> i'm really looking forward for this podcast man yeah awesome man yeah thanks for uh you know it was kind of you know something we threw around together and uh you kind of i think started the chat but uh you know we thought between our our two sides and angles we could do something interesting here um a little bit about me my name is also adrian spanish adrian in english um um mexican descent right i was born in the states but my parents are mexican um actually my mom is from monterrey like adrian is and uh, i'm also a tigres fan um and you know growing up in in the states as a as a mexican uh i guess a uh, Mexican parents, you know, you're kind of faced with uh, a dilemma, you know, kind of a, hey, do you go for Mexico or do you go for the States? And, um, you know, growing up, I've always, I've always followed both teams. Obviously, I, um, I, I love both teams, support both teams. Uh, you know, if you have me choose when they play each other, I think my, my heart ends up going slightly more to the States just because I was born here. And uh, I, um, knew people that grew up playing for the youth team and uh, played with people that, you know, grew up playing in the youth team. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, regardless, I always root on root from Mexico and, uh, you know, want them to do well, obviously, but, um, a little bit about me, uh, like I said, I was born, born in the States in Houston and, um, I too played, uh, played some in high school, uh, never really played. I mean, we, we did our intramurals in college, right? But uh, yes, we I, did. I, I, I played club back in the day as well, which was always fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
we like you said we met in we met in college and that was that was a fun time and uh you know we bonded over i think soccer was probably the first thing we bonded over being yeah both that and, we, uh, and i do want to say like when um i think the first time we saw a mexico against u.s uh game it was in my my apartment um with luis angel and and cesar Shout and out. i think i asked you and i, and I really I remember vividly that i asked you say hey, so who do you go for and it took you a couple of minutes to say uh the u.s and I, i you know i wasn't offended by it or anything but it just stuck with me because um i love all of the mexican americans that i met during college you were you were perhaps the only one that stood with the u.s you know the hardest so to me i was always like all right this is it's interesting to see because i'm pretty sure that you're not the only guy who feels this, this way but I just think that in my, at least in my experience, most of the guys who have the same uh, bring up as you uh, tend to say like, I, I like the, I like El Tri or I like La Selección Mexicana, right? Uh, even though their heart belongs to the U.S. national team. So I was like, all right, you know, I can respect this guy for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, like I said, you said it took me a while to answer because it, it is always a hard thing for me. And um Uh, probably then even more so being in a room full of Mexican nationals that were all, yeah. I was like, oh crap, man, what do I say? But nah, yeah, like I said, I always, I, I support both teams, obviously. I want them both to do well. And um, I, I think there, there are more, more of us than, than, our, than you, you think, you know, I, I know quite a few people that have the same background as me and um, pretty much do the same thing you know they they support mexico when mexico's playing anyone else but when the u.s and mexico play they they tend to to lean towards you know where yeah. they were born um which is also interesting what's happened with you because i mean you being a mexican mexican national team you don't or national you don't that's something that's not that as common <laughs> somebody that kind of adopts right. a second team but uh you know it, it's it is int intriguing because you've been you've been here in the states for almost 10 10 11 years now so um mm -hmm. it's kind of become your second home and your second team um especially a team being that's so diverse you know has a lot of people from different uh places so it's like i think they say in telemundo or whatever like el equipo de todos right yeah. um but um yeah no it's it's definitely i think we bring uh plenty of uh different sides and backgrounds to to our uh you know analysis um you know you growing up in mexico i i, I watch a lot of uh, the mexican um you know reports and sports reports and shows and stuff and it's a lot different the the atmosphere and the mentality they have towards it um whereas it's not really a primary sport here and you know they always uh, tend to try to build up the team and motivate the team down there yeah. and they're savages they <laughs> they go at it and uh they'll burn you for you know the 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 least amount of thing possible man like you do one I mean, layer it's, it's the only you know it's the one sport that we're somewhat good at it um right. honestly um and even even so like for being the the one national sport uh our team still sucks like it's it's bad period there's no way around it but i guess we can discuss that later on <laughs> we'll discuss it in full yeah man But um, yeah, you know, you growing up with that media and me growing up with the sport media here, it's like you have some angles where you you're more negative towards and I see more of the positives and vice versa, yeah. I would say. So it's going to be interesting hearing your points of views and comparing them to, to you know, what I think of. But, um, you know, enough enough of our backgrounds. I think uh, we, we mentioned yeah, we're you know, enough there. <laughs> But um, so, yeah, appreciate you guys uh, listening to that. Um, so. I guess let's start with the uh, USMNT, man. Um, you know, yeah. obviously they were they were put in a group with uh, Iran or Iran. How uh, Tyler Adams got a uh, got corrected by that reporter to say Iran. Uh, they got put in a group with Iran, England, and Wales. So I think it was the group that was the closest in rankings between all four teams in the World Cup. Yeah, I think so. So they were mm -hmm. all like. I think England was like, I don't, don't get me wrong, don't quote me here, but like six or something. And then USA, Wales and uh, Iran were all within like two or three or four places of each other. Not that the FIFA ranking means much, but um, it is it is kind of interesting to say the least. Um, 
so yeah man i mean starting at the beginning before the tournament even started uh what did you think of the squad you know there was there were some omissions some inclusions that were kind of sketchy to say the least sure so um you know when, when i saw the the roster um I thought it was a competitive roster, like to begin with, uh, regardless of uh, if they had Ricardo Pepe or not, or if they had to put in Ferreira, um, or if they had to bring Team Reem at the very end, which that was kind of odd, uh, but yeah. proved to be to be a good payout at the very end. Yeah, sure. um, I, I, I always thought it was a competitive team, you know, since day one, I was cheering for it. I, I felt confident that even though this is a young squad, um, I think it's the youngest one out of the tournament. Um, I think just Ghana I was it, younger. Ghana was okay. Yeah. Well, one of the youngest ones, regardless. Yeah. Um, I felt very confident. I felt motivated. I felt enthused about this team. I, I you know, regardless of how far they will make it, uh, to me it was like, all right, this is this is a win, no matter what, because you you have a young, a group of young lads who are gonna get a great amount of World Cup experience. It's a good stepping stone. So that was my that was like my expectation. Like if they make it, you know, past the group stage, great. If they go to the quarterfinals, that's awesome. Outstanding. But if they stay on the, on the, on the best 16 round to me, that's also like, all right, not too bad, not too shabby. What about you? What, what, what were your thoughts? What, what was your, um, what were your expectations for this team when you saw the roster? So when I first saw the roster, you know, I was kind of surprised that um, uh, a lack of real number nine, you know, um, mm. I think it's something that troubled both yeah. La Selección Mexicana and the U.S. team, uh, that lack of a, a deadly finisher, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was surprised that Pepe, who was kind of scoring goals, you know, he moved from La Bundesliga to, I think, in, he's playing in Holland right now. Um, and he's he's been scoring goals. Uh, he hadn't scored in a while, in like a year in the Bundesliga, but he made that transfer and he was he was hot before the uh, the World Cup hit off. So I for sure, you know, expected him to be on there. Yeah, he moved from uh, what Augsburg to uh, to Groningen, and it looks like he yeah. had nine matches and six goals. So, yeah, so he was bad. hot before the World Cup, and uh, mm-hmm. so I expected him to be on there, but uh, obviously he wasn't. Uh, Stefan, I kind of expected him to be at least a second or third keeper, um, and uh, I thought for sure Paul Arriola was going to be on there just because he was like uh, one of Greg's favorites. Uh, consistently during the world cup qualifying yeah um you know some surprises that i was like kind of shocked on was uh morris for sure um i don't think he's (laughs) up to the up to par and especially not after his acl injury um roldan who they said they only took because he was kind of like a the happy guy the guy that everybody liked in the locker room and that apparently you you need one like that um Long, I didn't, I didn't see why he was there. I, I know he's one of the coach's favorites, but I mean, he didn't play a minute, thank God. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> there were some surprises for sure. Um, but you know, you asked me about my expectations. Um, my expectations were always they need to get out the group uh, for sure. They need to get out the group. If they don't, it's a how they say in Mexico, fracaso, or you know, a big huge failure. Um, but. Uh, I always thought we're going to lose to England. We have to beat or tie Wales and we have to for sure beat Iran. Iran. And uh, when we tied Wales, it was kind of a blow. I was like, oh, man, they let it slip away. How are you going to give that foul away? Especially to Gareth Bale. He's going to score the penalty, of course. And he does. And uh, I thought, man, that, that was it. And then they somehow put a super great performance against England and uh, they tie England. So I'm like, Oh man, nice. All they have to do now is beat uh, Iran and uh, they beat Iran and uh, qualified. Um, For me, it wasn't a success, nor was it a failure. A success for me would have been to finally beat one of the big European giants. And I, I thought they could, but uh, so they, so would you, would, uh... What if they had defeated England but not make it through? Would you still consider that a success? It depends how they would have played against England. If they had won one zero off a fluke goal, I, I don't think I would have considered that a success. I would have considered it a um, – if they played well and beat England but didn't qualify, I think I would have considered it a failure, man, because how are you going to beat England and not – 
qualify. Like, not yeah, beat Iran. Lose against freaking Iran. <laughs> yeah. And Wales. So, yeah. Yeah, for me, I think they met expectation, but they didn't exceed it. Exceeding it would have been, and it wasn't a success in my book, it would have been beating Holland, you know? Um, So I think it was, like you said, valuable experience. Um, Like that's, they're going to use that to carry it on to 26. And I think it was something that needed to happen Uh, after missing 2018. It was a good... um, good reward for for the for Pulisic who missed out and all these new guys that came in to kind of um experience that uh, mm-hmm. but I definitely I definitely think that um the subs could have been better in the Holland game and uh we could have played better um for sure Look, I, I don't I don't understand the whole Ferreira thing like I I, I get it Josh, uh, Josh Sargent was injured um I guess you don't trust Hadji right even though you called him up and you put in Ferreira, who is not even tall. He's not, you know, he's not bulky, like to at least do something with his body. And then you have him, you have him playing in between freaking uh, Virgil van Dijk and Nathan Ake, who are two of the toughest center backs in the Premier League. And have you right. seen Virgil van Dijk? That guy is huge, man. He's 6'5", and he's fast. Come on. Right. Like there's, I, I, I didn't understand that. I, I just didn't get it. Um, it was it was a uh, definitely a bad move from uh, Greg Berhalter. But now that you're mentioning that for you it wasn't necessarily a success that they met expectations, but it isn't necessarily you know <clears throat> it would have been great if they exceed them. To me, there's a couple of things that I find to be positive. The first one is they made it back to the World Cup. You know, um, I think at this point in time with the team that they have, it's they shouldn't be missing any World Cup from now. I agree. On. Like there's I no agree. excuse whatsoever. They are in the easiest confederation to, to qualify for the World Cup, which is CONCACAF. They have three spots that take you directly and one that is a playoff. So there's no excuse for you, if you want to be competitive, to miss out on the World Cup, you know, for every four years, just because whatever happened. Um, you can name, you, you know, there's a plethora of reasons why they, they missed it on 2018. Um, I think it was because it was a generation that was fading out and they needed some restructuring, it didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. That's in the past. The other thing they also find very positive was the draw against England. Now, I agree with you. It would have been outstanding if they had beaten England with, you know, a strong performance, even if it was a one nil score, right? If it was a strong performance, defensively speaking, and, you know, they're, you know, they're getting the ball through midfield and, and finishing up all the plays, then that would have been great. But I think given the, <clears throat> the experience of these players um, and also the the eliteness of England, right? Because England is one of those truly elite teams. Um, to me, it was yeah. like it, it was great. You know, a zero 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 is kind of boring, but I think they outclass England on the possession game for sure. And the last thing that I want to mention as a positive is, man, I love that Ty Adams and Weston McKinney midfield duo. They are just great complements of each other. You know, they they have each other's back. I think they are ideal to become the motor of both you know having defensive plays and offensive plays for the u.s so if, if they keep it up if they keep on playing on the highest level and they, and they are you know relatively healthy for the next three years and a half i think the u.s will have a mean uh, midfield for 2026 now uh, as far as myself goes um you know i I see U.S.'s, I guess, participation in the World Cup as a glass half full. Is it a success to me? Maybe. You know, debatable. I, I can see both ends, right? I can see how for some people it's, you know, it's a success because you have a young group of players who are showing up at the World Cup, who are putting up a fight, and they're getting prepped. Like, it's a, it's a good stepping stone. So making it out, out, of, out of the group stage on a very tight group, um, and then facing Netherlands, getting outclassed, for sure, <laughs> um, against the Netherlands, I can see people saying, all right, you know, that's, that's a success. You know, we, we show up to the World Cup with very minimal expectations. They met those minimal expectations, and hell, maybe they, you know, because of how many points they made, um, they may, maybe beat them by the minimal, right? right. Um, but I, I'm right there with you, man. I think they met expect- expectations. Uh, it could have been better, you know. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh, but to me, like realistically speaking, to me, I think this, there's more good than bad 
Um, I consider this to be a good stepping stone for the next World Cup. Um, I, I think it's a, it was a great stage for the U.S. to show muscle, to flex. Um, that is no longer just a, we are here because we're part of CONCACAF, and more right. of a, hey, we're competitive, right? We no longer play just with our athleticism. We're not only physical anymore. We know how to take the ball. We know how to pass around. But one thing that is interesting is as the world moves into a direction of more, more of a like direct vertical style of play, the U.S. started to adopt this possessive game, right? Getting the right. ball, trying to go, you know, through the, <clears throat> through the sides, crosses and whatnot. So it's, it's really interesting to see um, that some people may say that, you know, they're, they're lagging behind. Um, because I think definitely one of the things that could have helped uh, Burhalter on this World Cup was uh, taking advantage of that athleticism. And he did. He didn't. Like yeah. on, on, the, on the Netherlands game, I mean, you tell me, man. I, I think that, one, I mean, if you look at each roster, man by man, they, they, they were not that... Um, you know, there wasn't there wasn't there wasn't that big of a gap between talent. You know, um, and if yeah, you, for if the you first time, for the system, first time, we fielded uh-huh. I think ten out of eleven players that were, you know, uh, it's unheard of were European based and you know playing at some of the best uh, clubs in the world. So yeah, the talent gap is, has definitely closed. So yeah, I mean, and, and that game was a great position or stage for the team. To be like, look, we can compete against top talent, right. right? They could have defeated them easily with athleticism because don't tell me that freaking Memphis Depay is faster than Christian Pulisic or uh, Musa or Team Wea, right? Because he isn't. Right. But then again, once you move, move on to the group stages, it's always a situation of that's where the real talent takes right. those teams to the next level. So I guess in this case... There's, there's still a small gap in between of, you know, finding that Landon Donovan for the U.S. Yeah, like you said, in the in the round of 16 when the talent takes over that small gap, I wouldn't necessarily say the talent takes over because I think the talent is there for the United States and it's comparable to the Netherlands. I think some of those United States players would start on the Netherlands team. I think yeah. what I think what takes over there is just class, man, class that I've been there before. I'm Virgil van Dyke. I am uh, Memphis Depay. I'm Frankie Dijon. I'm all these guys that have been in big games and big situations before, and I know how to close out a game, and I don't get intimidated. And, and you know what else that, that we haven't mentioned is the U.S. team is a young team, right? We have young players, but we also have a young coach, a green coach. And I think at that specific game, yeah. Uh, we got out coach. Oh, for time. sure. That's where it showed. And uh, up to that point, man, you know, I haven't always been the biggest Greg supporter. Um, I, I've been uh, I've critical of him in the past. And uh, I hadn't seen really before so consistently the team playing how he had sold it to us. You know, he had sold, we're going to play possession-based soccer. Um, that tiki-taka type soccer. And yeah, in the groups... I mean, he, 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 was, uh, he was in Netherlands, right? for a part of his career. And, and I think he, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I think, and he has that, those kind Germany, of like, I think. Netherlands. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Netherlands and Germany. And, um, he, uh, during the group stage, man, he implemented that for sure. Just looking at some stats here, like, um, against, uh, Wales, uh, the U S had 59% possession compared to the 41% of, uh, Wales. Um, the shots were similar. We definitely missed the number nine, I think. I think that was what we missed to take us from here to here, right? To beat Netherlands. Yeah. Um, against uh, Iran, we had, it was similar, 50-50. It says 40, 49% here for Iran, uh, 51 for the U.S. I think that got kind of skewed towards the end, the last 20 minutes when Iran was just bombarding the U.S. And uh, But for the most part, for 70 minutes, I think the U.S. had a lot more possession. We had yeah. 12 shots compared to their four shots, five shots on target compared to their <laughs> one shot on target. So again, yeah. we won 1-0, but it was lack of a forward that also came back. Uh, against um, England, that was one where, again, I think we 
dominated possession in the first half. Second half, we kind of let them grow back into it. Uh, it ended up 56% possession to England, 44 to the U.S., but um, the shots were 10 to the U.S., 8 to England. Um, on target, it was 3 to England, 1 to the U.S. Again, we don't have that Harry Kane or that exactly. some that forward to get those things on target. Mm-hmm. When, when you know, how you mentioned Donovan, uh, back then, like you said, we used to pay more, um, hey, man, cross it into the, the box and we'll have somebody header it there. We don't have <laughs> yes. those big... We don't have those big, tall guys anymore. They're all short guys in the front. Weya, Pulisic, uh, Sargent. Um, Wait, so Weya is short, dude? I thought Weya was tall. Well, I mean, How tall is that guy? He can't be more than six feet, right? Which, I mean, compare uh, Virgil van Dijk <laughs> or Harry Maguire, the fridge. Well, he's, he's six feet tall. He's not short. He's not like, short, I'm but short. He's, not, also not a, he's also not a central striker, right? That is he's true. He's kind of played on true. the wing. And, um, you know, I, 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 I keep talking positives. I liked the consistency. Um, I liked how he played the same 10 or 11 players. I think he only rotated Vickers in for, uh, for Reem or not for Reem for Zimmerman in one game. And, uh, just the forward switched between Wright and Sargent and Ferreira. Yeah. Everything else was really consistent. Those three, those two you mentioned, Musa, uh, McKinney and Adams were great along with Musa. I think he was a really standout yeah. player. And I think I those three players' value just went up tremendously. But, Dude, um, significantly. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if Musa moves away from Valencia after the end of the season. Yeah. And there's already talks of that, but we'll talk transfer windows in another episode here. Um, That's true. But yeah, man, um, I, I think the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. And um, it's, it's it's like we said, a good a good experience for, for those young guys. And um it's 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 only up from here. But you gotta believe, man. You gotta believe in it. Been telling you this for a long time. Yeah, I, I think you believe more than I do. I just I just think, man, <laughs> it's time for like thanks, Greg. You did you did good. Um, but uh, I think it's time for a, a, a really high end coach to take us from that one step further. You know, to get us ready for twenty twenty six. With that note. Why don't you tell me, you know, what's your, what are your wishes? You know, as, as we come close to the end of this year and 2023 starts to show up, um, then there's some, there's some uncertainty around the team and maybe changing coaches or whatever, you know, the whole drama happening that we will touch base on that on the next episode. But I want to know, you know, what are your wishes for the USMT for 2023? So my wish is uh, for sure, definitely get the coach thing resolved. Um, Mm -hmm. even if it's Greg, uh, um, just announce it, resolve it. So, you know, the, we can move on and move forward. If it's somebody new, um, quickly, uh, let go of Greg and start the search. Um, I know next episode we'll be talking about who we think, you know, candidates for the coaching job. Yeah. So we'll go into into definitely a long list. We'll go into detail there, but, um, definitely, number one priority resolve the uh the coaching situation and uh i guess smaller wish list items um you know play more games outside of your home country um we struggle as a team to to find wins and uh, results out of out of the u.s and that's just because we don't play out of the u.s enough so um i think you know on a on a quick note those are probably my two wish list items for this year 2023 um obviously we'll go into detail previewing 2023 uh you know with more detail in the future episode but um yeah that's kind of what i'm hoping what about you for the u.s you know i i just <clears throat> i wish they continue to to foster this you know group mentality like make sure that the the the, the basis of this team remains together like make sure that you have like a you know like a like a a set of good building blocks within your team like i think uh what's the name of the keeper uh, turner man matt turner it's not stefan yeah matt turner i think matt yeah. turner um did a good job i think he proved himself i wish for him to move onto a different team that he he can get consistent 
uh, game time because he's he, he's benched in Arsenal, maybe playing the freaking FA Cup or whatever every now and then. Um, I think he, you know he, he's a good guy. They should keep him there. They should definitely solidify who's going to be the leader center back because we have Zimmerman, you have Team Ream, you have Beakers, but Greg went through the three of them on the on all you know he he didn't choose like a pair to play with. So to me, it's like you have to make sure that you have your base, your basic, you know, your keeper, a good uh, center back. Keep Tyler Adams and McKinney as your midfield combo. Then find your number ten. Who's going to be the number ten? If is is it Christian Pulisic? Is it is it Team Wea? Is it who? We need the number ten. We don't have a number ten. And then lastly, and most importantly, is make sure that those strikers that you have that are real nine you know that, that, that they play as a, as a number nine as a you know uh as a regular striker not a central forward not a right wing not a right, right. forward not a left forward not a false striker nine. yeah right. you need one of those to be constantly playing at a competitive level name it Eredivisie, name it bundesliga name it premier league whatever it is hell even the mls man um, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of the MLS, but even if that striker is getting consistent time and scoring on a regular basis, then call him up. That's what you need. Those are my those are my wishes for the for the US on this 2023. Solidify that core that they have on the team and find that striker. Is it Ricardo Pepe? Maybe. Is it Ferreira? Well, then all right, let's let's help Ferreira get to the next stage. Is it Haji Wright? Well, let's make sure that Haji Wright has more time with the team. Like do those things right think forward think for the next you know think as in you're getting ready for the next world cup the next world right. cup is in, in three years and a half it's just around the corner you gotta have this sense of urgency and i just feel that they don't have it so i wish for the u.s to have a sense of urgency in 2023 all right well um with that um you know i think it's a good segue to the next topic um if the U.S. doesn't have urgent, a sense of urgency, well, menos <laughs> Mexico. Um, so uh, let's, let's start talking about La Selección Mexicana here. Um, you know, they were put in a group with Poland, Argentina, and Saudi Arabia. I guess before the World Cup even started, Adrian, when they dropped the uh, the roster announcement, what was your thoughts on that uh, 26-man roster? Look, <clears throat> inclusive antes, before, like the, the whole roster was called up, there was a huge drama in Mexico, right? Is it going to call Rogelio Funes Mori? Is it going to call Santi Jimenez? Like there was, why is he calling up Raul Jimenez if he's not ready, right? Why is he taking Tecatito to the freaking uh, camp in Spain to not play? Like, just let it go. You, you, you're not going to have him, right? So even before he made the freaking list, right? Before he dropped the, the list of the jugadores, um, Honestly, I, w- I wasn't expecting anything, like at all. Like I, I was, I was convinced they were not gonna make it through the group stage. Like the buildup between 2020 and 2022 wasn't good enough. They lost two finals against the U.S. They sort of struggled to qualify to the World Cup, even though they qualify in second place. But they lost against Canada. They couldn't win against Canada in Azteca. They couldn't win against the U.S. In Azteca. So that was just screaming out loud. We're not, this, this is going to be like a shit show, a complete shit show. So and then. Costa Rica as well, right? This. Didn't Costa Rica yeah. tie them? Exactly. Like you were struggling to win at Azteca, which is like historically your fortress where teams show up. Once and a they fortress. Drown because yeah. Of the, yeah, exactly. Because of the, um, the altitude, right? And, and now it's just like a freaking walk in the park. Like it doesn't matter anymore. So it, it was just a complete nightmare, man. And then this whole thing of he's going to take Rogelio Funes Mori because whatever reason, right? He's taking Rogelio Funes Mori instead of taking Santiago Jimenez, who recently went from Cruz Azul to Feyenoord at Eredivisie and who is currently the top scorer at the Europa League. So the excuse was he's not playing enough. He doesn't have constant time. He's not a starting 11 player at Feyenoord. Yet, he has the best average of scoring goals per game 
out of every single player at Feyenoord for all competitions. So if, if there's one thing that you're looking at, it's one trait that you want in a striker, right? And that trait is scoring goals. So look, man, before, before the World Cup started, I, I, was, I was already in disbelief. I wasn't expecting anything. Um, the fact that they omitted Santiago Jimenez in the list, like I, I'm team Bebote, 100%. I don't get it. I will never understand it. I think Tata was just fed up and he was like, all right, um, this is it. I'm just going to go, show up, do my thing, stick with my guns. If we make it through the, to the group stage, that's awesome. If we don't, my job was to qualify to the World Cup and I did it. So look, there was also rumors saying that he, uh, I think after he lost the second final against the U.S. on the, yeah. on the Gold Cup or National League, one of those, he, uh, he turned in his resignation. And, uh, really? Yeah, wow. La Federación said no. Like, you know, he, he said, like, I don't want to do it anymore. You could tell that he was already pissed by the whole media stuff. Like, pe- people, you know, all the pundits in Mexico were, like, essentially just crying out loud, letting him know, like, look, I don't understand what, what you're doing in Argentina. Like he was using the the pandemic as an excuse to not visit Mexico. He knew shit right. about the Liga about Liga MX. So, like, we'll dabble about we'll dabble into these topics on the next episode. But it it just wasn't a cohesive team in in any respect, right? They had the Chicharito drama. They had Tata Tata Martino uh, just not being okay with the team, um, and then on top of that, pressure building up for not being consistent, like. Tata Martino's era started really good. Like 2018 was right. great. 2019 wasn't yep. bad. And then everything went south as soon as 2020 hit. So I don't know. Before the World Cup, I wasn't expecting anything. Now as a postmortem, you know, I, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm disappointed. I'm beyond disappointed. You, you you're me, beyond man. disappointed, but, uh, you it's kind of softened the blow because it's something you expected <laughs> you know? I, yeah i guess so that's true i think i think those of us who have been following la selección uh always knew it was going to be difficult just because of the of the what you what you mentioned and uh the group that they were that they were dealt with as well you know historically historically speaking mexico always struggles against those those tall european teams like poland that is true. uh like 2018 when they lost three, uh, 3-0 to sweden I exactly. uh, I personally thought, you know, it was a 50-50 for me that they would make it out the group. Um, I knew we had to beat Saudi Arabia. I knew we would get uh, clapped by Argentina. And I was like, you know, whoever just doesn't get clapped the most by Argentina is going to qualify. Because I, I kind of expected us to either barely beat Poland or tie Poland. So um, it was a manageable group, but um, definitely definitely not an easy group. Uh, and and I think those, those were everyone's, you know, expectations. As you said, the expectation was we tied against Poland. We kind of sort of tried not to lose badly against Argent- Argentina. And then we destroy Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabian paper was ranked 52 in the freaking yeah. FIFA ranking, right? So it was supposed right. to be the easy team. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, at the end of the day, that's what happened. You tied against Poland. You lost against Argentina and you won against Saudi Arabia. Like, it so, yeah, happened. They they did they did what they went to do. They got undone by goal differential, which is unfortunate. I don't think they would have beaten France uh, if they had qualified. Nah, hell um, no, man. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> it hurts because they didn't make it out the group after what was it eight mundiales uh, consecutively, yeah, consecutively of speaking. you know qualifying yeah. out the group. I think it's something we've taken for granted at this point, so it, it hurt even more. Um, but um, you know, I think it's uh, this can definitely uh, inspire, hopefully inspires change in La Federación, which will definitely. Um, you know, talk more about, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of things that you, you've disliked. Did, was there anything at all you kind of liked that you saw from the yeah. in this World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, not everything is bad, right? Um, there's a couple, always, there's always good things about it. Um, I, I, I liked the fact that they included Luis Chavez on the list. Luis Chavez was not a feature on, I guess a, a constant feature on the Mexican national team uh, throughout Tata's 
uh, tenure with the team. Right. But mm -hmm. he won the spot for the last year and a half. He's been playing, you know, at a top level in Liga MX. Uh, he's not that young. He's 26. Uh, so it, it might be, you know, not so um, attractive for the European teams. But regardless of that, I'm, I'm glad that he showed up. I'm glad that he had a, a, a really good World Cup. Like, all in all, putting things into perspective, he had he, he had a decent performance. Well, what you, know, you saw, sorry well. I interrupt you, you you saw what um, Bayern Leverkusen tweeted at him, right? They were like, hola, yeah, Chavez. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, he might find his move, man. Look, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it, dude. I'm all for it. I want Luis Chavez to uh, travel to Europe and get into a team. Like, honestly, the Mexican players should always shoot for teams like Bayern Leverkusen, Espanol. You know, we are not necessarily Class A players, right? That's plain and simple. They're not. They're not attracting to the European teams. They don't. They haven't made any, you know, uh, lasting history of having good, decent players showing up at top-notch teams. So to me, it's like, all right, hey man, you want to be better? Go to Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, play against, you know, better talent than what you're than what you're used to in Liga MX. But we we can have a whole conversation of that, you know, in a different episode. The other thing they also liked was Alexis Alexis Vega. I do have to say though that. I was not a fan of Alexis Vega, period. I I still think Alexis Vega really? is overvalued. Yeah, I think he's I think he's overrated. Um but he showed up to the World Cup. He did his job and unfortunately he wasn't um he uh, he didn't get a, he didn't get to score, but I think he proved to a lot of people including myself that um uh, He's not that overrated, you know. He's a uh, he. He proved he proved me that he can be a team player, that he can be someone that understands what the coach wants and execute it, and not put his personal interest or I guess personal, you know, whatever you want to call it, extravaganza, before the team. Um, unfortunately, he um, he didn't score. But man, again, I think he he put up good some decent performances. And I really hope that sure. he gets to go to, to a European team. Um, yeah, I, I was gladly surprised by, Ale by Alexis Vega. Um, and then lastly, the last thing that I, I, I think is a positive thing, but this might be a very unpopular opinion, is to me it's very positive that Mexico got eliminated on the group stage. I totally agree with you. I think we took for granted how many years or how many World Cups we had qualified into the next stage uh, that we just completely forgot that moving on from the group stage was a big deal because it is a big deal. Um, even if you get like a very easy, easy group, it's still a huge deal to qualify to the next stage on a World Cup because you're playing against the best talent in the world. Right. So to me, it's a, it's a positive thing because I see this as, I hope, I hope that La Federación, Doña Fede y sus amigos, they see this as like I like I do. This is rock bottom. There's you can you cannot go any lower. I think the lowest would be not qualifying to the World Cup, but even then Shout out to know, the USA up, 2018. <laughs> showing showing up to the World Cup like this with a coach that is not interested in the Mexican national team development, with a roster that is full of drama and with omissions of players who clearly deserve to be included. It's just, you know, to me, it's a win. I don't see it as a lose. I see it as a win because from this point on is we got to do something radical. What do you think? No, I agree. Um, it is rock bottom for La Selección here at this point, and hopefully it does inspire some change. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, um, Liga Mekis, um, which I, I, I think it's, you know, there, it has its criticisms, but it's still one of the best leagues in definitely in the Americas, uh, if not the best league, um, and definitely a top 10 league, I would say, for the amount of revenue uh, it brings in, for the amount of, for the product that it puts on the field. It's, it's, a, it's a great league to watch. It's an entertaining league. But, um, you know, it really suffered, and I think uh, the players really suffered when they got rid of relegation and promotion a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, there's really no point to, to, you know, try once you're out of the Ligia range. Um, so... 
that that kind of you know inspires or i don't want to say inspires but kind of uh allows for um you know uh the, the players to kind of just relax and um not strive for for you know higher um hopefully that that can change they go back to relegation promotion system um hopefully they uh invest more in youth development scouting and like you said, sending their youth uh, not overvalued and uh, to to Europe to teams like Ajax, yeah. teams like uh, Bilbao, stuff like that. You know, mid-table teams, um, Valencia. Um, you know, some of the things that I, I sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Like those are teams who, those are teams that will get them constant, high competitive games. Like it doesn't really matter if it's Espanol. Doesn't really matter if it's Albacete. Or if it's freaking Groningen, or even go ahead Eagles, right? They're gonna be playing against top talent from Africa. They're gonna be playing against against top talent from Asia, from all over freaking Europe, like from South America. So by just being there, by just training there, you know, they're gonna be exposed to better talent than by staying in Liga MX or going to MLS, for sure. Definitely. Um... You know, another thing that I thought was a positive from this World Cup, at least, you know, we talked a lot about negatives and the fracaso that this was, but, um, you know, the games that Mexico was supposed to win or at least draw, I think they played extremely well in. They were unfortunate to not get a goal against Poland. Um, they were yeah. lucky that Lewandowski didn't score the penalty. Um, <laughs> For sure. But uh, they played they played their asses off against Saudi Arabia. And again, Saudi Arabia might be ranked 52. But they beat Argentina. They were playing with all the... Uh, the motivation they were playing kind of quote unquote in their home region. Um, so they, they were, they had a lot to fight for and Mexico beat them pretty easily, single handed, like handedly. And um, if the, the score doesn't reflect that, cause it shows us two one, which, you know, unfortunately at the end there, they kind of messed up defensively, but yeah. um, I think uh, they played really well that game. They, uh, let me see here. I have a couple stats here. I wanted to kind of, uh, show they sure. uh they dominated possession they had 61 percent compared to 39 percent for saudi arabia 26 shots God, 26 man, shots 11 and wow. again something we didn't really mention that we mentioned exactly. about the u.s there was no forward for mexico yeah there was no forward no, exactly you I mean you had henry martin like honestly henry martin he's okay for liga mx he had a decent semester before the world cup honestly he was perhaps the only striker available who had been scoring on a constant basis for Mexico, other than Chicharito, but we all know what Chicharito is not going because nobody likes a whistleblower and he is the whistleblower on that team. Um, but yeah, like right there with you, like I, hell, even all CONCACAF, right? How many goals CONCACAF scored collectively? There's no strikers in CONCACAF for whatever reason. I don't know why. You had Alfonso Davies playing forward for Canada. There like, you go. Come and he's on, a freaking left back, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had they probably have the best forward uh, in David, but I mean, he was shut down completely, but um that's another another team, another country you didn't really uh yeah. talk much about. But uh no, I mean, <laughs> I anyway, know, kind of to to you know, we we'll go into this deeper for sure next episode when we postmortem part two make sure y'all check it out um but um you know kind of tend the the, the conversation on la selección mexicana on a positive note um although i don't think they should have been there it was pretty big milestone for andres guardado y guillermo Ochoa to be there yeah. um i i have no idea how guardado played against argentina but he played um and you know 45 this, minutes 45 then they took his ass out um and uh you know mexico uh, they they normally have. There's always a um, an, something that happens with the team. A negativity. They either go out to a club, and you know <laughs> get get girls they shouldn't be getting, or you know they. Uh, there's always something a whistleblower here or there or something. But I think for the most part, the only negativity here was around the coach. The team, you know, looked like a team, looked bonded, and uh, you know th- there was positivity in the team towards the you know throughout the tournament and. Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, that's at least something to look forward to that, uh, you know, this team's at least, you know, they always play for, for the flag and for the country. And uh, there was, you know, no lack of that this time. 
I guess so. Like I, I guess just to end it, man. To me, it's like, uh, is it a big failure? I want to ask everyone: Did we really expect more from Mexico and Tata? Like, honestly, honestly speaking, did we really think that something big was going to happen with Tata and in the national and Mexico national team? I, I really don't. I really don't. So, in a way. Um, I, I guess I can say that it was a success uh, because they went and did what we all thought they were going to do. Tie against Poland, lose against Argentina, and win against Saudi Arabia. It's a mugrero. Yeah. mugrero. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't know how to put it you know, in other words, but it's just, it, it was utter trash. It was what it was, man. And uh, thankfully... Thankfully, it's over, and hopefully, he could implement some change. Um, but all right, yeah, yeah this was. A long, a, I do have a long list for you know my wish list as you know what what should do what what La Federación y sus amigos should do for 2023. But we can discuss that next episode. Yeah, um, definitely keep that wish list and uh, maybe <laughs> mail it to them. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so uh, that that's gonna be it for this episode, World Cup Postmortem Part One. Uh, please. Tune in uh, to Puro Pinche Goal next episode. We're going to be going over World Cup uh, postmortem part two, where we'll discuss our thoughts for the teams moving forward, especially 2023. We'll go more into depth, in depth for that. Um, you know, what's going to happen with the coaches? Obviously, Greg is still in and Tata's out. Uh, who are the replacements, the candidates? Uh, what do they bring to the table? And uh, basically, just uh, future plans, um, you know. We'll discuss Copa America, uh, Asian Cup, AFCON, um, any opportunities for, for the teams to kind of uh, get out of their comfort zone and maybe uh, play uh, more competitive football since uh, World Cup qualifying. You know, it's not going to be in the picture this time around. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll be welcome back to Libertadores and uh, just, you know, hopefully the future is brighter than because it can't really go much lower for La Selección Mexicana. <laughs> I, that's you know that's what you think, but hey, man, they always surprise you. That's true, man. That's true. Hopefully, for good or for bad, you know. For it's, good or for bad. It's always, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a freaking gamble with them. Um, yeah, but it's a gamble, but we somehow still like idiotas here, following them and loving them. But um, oh. it is what it is. All right, eight. man. Well, uh, appreciate you being on here, Adrian, my co-host. Uh, definitely uh, got a lot more to discuss on the next episode. So uh, catch you later, man. All right. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and hit the, you know, the notifications button or whatever. Let's do it. Thanks, guys. Deuces.